You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our special Market Talk podcast with AIB Private Banking. I'm Jane Kavner from AIB Corporate Treasury and today I am joined by Connor English, Head of Investments with AIB Private Banking and John Fahey, AIB's Senior Economist. John and Connor, thanks for joining me. So let's talk markets. John, turning my attention to you first, if I may, the word unprecedented has frequently been used to describe recent economic events. But just how unusual has the economic shock been? Yeah, when we look at uh, what's how it's been described, I think for a change, unprecedented is pretty apt, given just the shock that's been thrown on the global economy, how large and sudden and sharp it's been, and just the high degree of uncertainty that still exists around it. So there's a wide range of possibilities for the global economy in terms of where we are at the moment, and a lot of uncertainty. What is clear though is that GDP will contract sharply this year, and the majority of that will be concentrated in the second quarter. And the reason for that is, is that the second quarter, specifically April, is when most of the major economies have been, for all intents and purposes, shut down as these economies try to deal with the peaks in the virus. Now, the assumption out there is, is that the virus does peak in Q2 and start to fade in the second half of the year. And we're starting to see signs of that because the, key, the reason that's the important thing is that that will allow the restrictions to actually ease back and basically allow economies be able to open up and operate again. So it's a pretty severe backdrop we're looking at from a contraction in GDP in the second quarter. But at the same time, we've had very extensive government and central bank policy responses to it. So I suppose when we look at it from our base case perspective, what we see is a very deep recession in the first half of 2020 uh, and recovery starts to take hold in the second half uh, of the year. But even by the end of 2021, we're not going to be back in terms of for most of those advanced economies to the levels we are. So it's really 2022 before we get back to those uh, levels where we were before the crisis hit. Uh, So the IMF itself calls it a a partial recovery. And just to put some numbers on it, when we talk about the advanced economies, so when we combine them together, US, Eurozone, UK, Japan and that, you're looking at declines this year, somewhere in the region of of 6 to 8% and then growth next year of around 4%. So we do expect a strong pickup in the second half of the year, but even next year, strong growth, but still not enough to fully replace the lost output that we would have seen this year. So you're really looking at 2022 before economies are back to the size they were before the pandemic hit. And Connor, if I may bring you in, can you talk to us as to how the stock markets have performed against this economic backdrop? I would say the response has been somewhat surprising to most people insofar as stock and equity markets have risen almost 40% in the last 10 weeks or so. And that's despite economies being in the middle of the recession that John has referred to there. So it almost appears as if stock markets are ignoring or at least overlooking the poor economic data that is apparent everywhere. And to a large extent, they are as they're looking to the future and the trend of the recovery that John talks about rather than backward-looking data such as unemployment numbers and GDP growth. So that means that markets are focusing very much on the rate of infections falling, the impact of easing of lockdowns, leading economic indicators, and further stimulus measures that may come about. So I guess everything needs to be viewed in context of what we've witnessed with the spread of the virus and the impact this had on society and economies in general. So the initial response of stock markets obviously was a big sell-off from mid-February to late March. In fact, the quickest correction in living memory as global stocks fell by about 35%. So I suppose you could summarize by saying that the the pace of the decline in stock prices was a shock for investors. 
and perhaps the speed of the rally is equally justified. And Connor, just in terms of the rally that's come there, has it been broad based on equity markets or has it been kind of more sector driven and more focused on one or two sectors? Well, John, I guess what we saw in the first number of weeks in the rally, certainly from late March up to about early to mid-May, was the rally being driven by a relatively small number of stocks and sectors. So particularly by growth stocks, the likes of Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, or the FANG stocks. And geographically, it was led by the US. What we've seen more recently, uh, since mid-May especially, are that sectors such as financials and utilities have come to the fore, and Europe has begun to catch up on the US in terms of performance. So a bit more broad-based than we saw in the early part of the rally. Thanks indeed, Connor. John, you mentioned earlier that economies should rebound in the second half of the year, but that it would be a partial recovery. What does this mean for both global monetary policy and the interest rate outlook? Yeah, so in terms of we're starting to see signs of that recovery take hold, very tentative signs though at the moment. So if we look at the survey data, so Connor referred there to some of the unemployment of that, that's kind of backward looking. Some of the leading indicators have shown improvement in May and we're starting to see some to show through in June as well. So it lo does look as if that, that assumption that we will see a pick up in the second half of the year. Uh, some of the survey data, like the PMI's purchase manager indices, the high frequency data is kind of validating that view, but it's still at a relatively low ebb in terms of activity. We're coming off a low base, so the signs are encouraging, but still a long way to go. If you look at what interest rate markets are expecting, it's basically lower for longer. So we had the ECB meeting there last week. ECB uh, increased the size of its QE program by around 600 billion. And it's also at the moment in terms of where it is with interest rates, the deposit rate has been in negative territory for quite some time. And at the moment, it's at minus 0.5%. We can actually see to some extent what the market's expecting with futures contracts, because these kind of price in what the three-month money is, which closely correlates to official interest rates. And if you look at those contracts all the way out a number of years, it's really end of 2023 before the market's pricing in the first 10 base points increase in the deposit rate. And then there's only a further 10 basis points priced in by 2024 and another by 2025. So what that means is that at the moment, uh, the market is expecting that the deposit rate will still be at minus 0.2% by the end of 2025. And when we look at the US in terms of where interest rates are there at the moment, they're effectively at zero in terms of what the Fed is implementing. Now, the Fed has ruled out negative interest rates, but it's implementing unlimited QE. But the market doesn't expect any rate increase from the Fed till maybe around 2023. And then with the Bank of England, Bank of England's at point one at the moment in terms of official rate. And the markets and the Bank of England themselves haven't ruled out the fact that rates could go negative. So the market doesn't expect and hasn't priced in the bank rate going from point one back to 0.25% till the end of 2023. So what that seems to tell us is... Uh, that the market doesn't expect any of these economies will be able to sustain any sort of major interest rate increases. In other words, that they'll still need very accommodative monetary policy in terms of low interest rates over the next couple of years to be able to help these economies grow and that any interest rate increases will be slow and, and very, very gradual. So I suppose that tells you that the interest rate market's probably a bit more cautious. But Connor, when you look at your reference there, equity markets, they're very much more on the bullish side of things. Is there a concern that they might maybe got too carried away at the moment? I think that it probably, you know, some of that is a reflection of what you've spoken about there, John, in relation to interest rates, that for some people, 
there is no alternative at the moment other than equity markets buying stocks and shares because effectively the returns from both deposit rates and from bonds are low to negative, certainly within the Eurozone area. So investors are left with the choice of investing in uh, deposits or bonds, which will effectively give them no return. And that's not going to change in the short term, as you've outlined, certainly the expectation for interest rates to stay low for a number of years would be a solid consensus view. So equity markets, there certainly appears to be plenty of pent-up demand, let's say, for equities globally. And that's one of the reasons why we've seen a rally in recent weeks. And the expectation, based on your own views and others, is that that risk premium in equities will continue in the short to medium term. So I suppose it is lower interest rates makes it a more difficult environment for bonds. And whilst bonds have done well in the equity market sell-off, they will come under more pressure, I think, over the next couple of months. Uh, It's probably the quantitative easing programs reintroduced by the ECB and the Federal Reserve will certainly put a lid on yields rising too much. But it will be a challenging environment for bond investors to as they seek returns. So, again, the alternative is to invest in equities and possibly other asset classes. We've seen within commodities, there have been some changes of late where oil and copper have come back into favour, whereas gold had been in the vanguard for a number of months, a very good performer during the equity sell-off, still remains up over 10% year to date. But again, it'd be more difficult to replicate those type of returns in a risk-on type environment. I suppose other asset classes such as hedge funds, absolute return funds, other alternative strategies should benefit in these times of uncertainty or volatility. And many of these have also held up reasonably well during the February and March correction phase. And I suppose when we look at the outlook too, obviously we're at the moment we're dealing with the pandemic, but there still is the risk too of an escalation in global trade tensions. We're kind of seeing some signs of that in relation to US-China tensions as a fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so that risk is still there in terms of some heightened tensions there and maybe increased protectionism. Could that be an issue for equity markets in terms of just how companies, uh, their, the global companies and access to markets and how they carry on in a kind of, if, it, if, if there is a case where supply chains are brought back more closely to home I think that will be a factor, John, and the overall play out of the US and China trade situation will be a factor for markets. Obviously, it was probably the, the dominant feature of markets in 2019, has been was put to the sidelines to a large extent uh, during the coronavirus, but has come into play again in the last couple of weeks and would have been one of the reasons why equity markets did pause for breath a little bit in the first half of May. So difficult to see ultimately how the supply chain issues may feed through to individual companies. But as we've seen in the past, the reaction of Trump and his administration to the Chinese situation could become a very strong feature in equity markets over coming months. And I suppose that a lot of that may depend on whether Trump is re-elected or not come November. And that is another factor for equity markets to consider as the year progresses. And hopefully the coronavirus becomes less of an issue for equity markets. Typically in U.S. presidential election years, equity markets 
can move sideways during the run-up to the election. But again, history has shown that typically over the longer term, equity markets respond well uh, in a presidential election year compared to non-election years. Connor, staying with you, taking into consideration the economic and interest rate outlook we've just discussed and the level of volatility we've seen recently in the stock markets, tell me how best can investors protect themselves from the type of volatility seen in stock markets? What we would say to investors, Jane, is that it's, you know, it's very important to have a diversified portfolio at all times, but I suppose that's particularly true where there is heightened volatility. Hopefully we've seen the worst of the volatility for the current year at least, but we still believe that equity markets will remain somewhat uncertain over the coming months. So it is important that investors also consider other asset classes. As I mentioned earlier, bonds will always form a core part of most diversified portfolios as they do give a counterbalance to the risks that's in, involved with equities. Commodities also give diverse, good diversification. A broad basket of commodities will include numerous different sectors such as energy, precious metals, industrial metals, etc. And as I mentioned, there has been some rotation within those different subcategories over the past couple of weeks. Also, the hedge fund and absolute return categories are very important. The instruments within our own portfolios in those asset classes would have performed very well on a relative basis during the equity market sell-off, and we'd expect that they can continue to benefit over the coming months also. So I think just important that ultimately market direction will depend on how close the reality of economic recovery is to current expectations. If economic activity turns out to be weaker than expected, then stock markets are likely to underperform other asset classes. Conversely, if we see further positive surprises, similar to last Friday's non-farm payroll numbers in the States, then the rally in stock markets is likely to continue for a little while longer. But there still is you know, a lot of uncertainty there. And as we've spoken earlier, it is unclear whether the stimulus that's been provided by governments will be enough to lead to the economic recovery in the second half. Thanks, Connor. And I'm sure details such as this can be found. You have a monthly brief, is that right? That's correct. That'll be out this week. So it's available on the podcast. Excellent. Connor and John, many thanks for the update and for providing our customers with your informed views, which are insightful as always. My thanks also to our customers and listeners for joining us on the podcast today. Don't forget those customers impacted. Details of AIB support packages can be found at www.aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. And of course, stay close to all our latest podcasts by pressing the subscribe button to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.